ночной шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И при виде их на момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello and welcome to the SRB Podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Guillory. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. You can help support the podcast by going to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sean's Russia blog or to the podcast website, seansrussiablog.org, and click on the Patreon button and join the Table of Ranks. The short film Pedrugi, or Girlfriends, tells the tale of the silent tension between two pensioners, Tamara and Sofia Ivanovna, and how that tension results in a horrific crime. The film's creator, Yevgenia Kovda, describes it as a tale of old age and claustrophobia in Putin's Russia. I decided to talk to Yevgenia about the making of Padrugi to learn more about the larger commentary the film is making, elderly life, and how it reflects a sense of stagnation in today's Russia. You can watch Padrugi on the post for this podcast at seansrussiablog.org. Yevgenia Kovda is a Brooklyn-based Russian filmmaker from Moscow, currently pursuing an MFA in Integrated Media Arts at Hunter College in New York. Girlfriends is her first narrative short film. Here's Evgenia Kovda. Your short film, Padrugi, or Girlfriends, is about uh, Sofia Ivanovna and Tamara, two elderly women in an unremodeled apartment in St. Petersburg. So I thought we'd start by having you talk about the genesis of the idea for the film and what you were trying to accomplish with it. So the first thing I want to say is that... Um Look, it's basically my first uh, narrative short film I made, and uh, I did it as a kind of experiment to see if I could capture the feeling, and I would say like the spirit of, I would say, put narrow stagnation really, and the poverty and misery that surrounds it. And um, there's like silent horror that um, I feel in Russia. I don't know, probably other people feel it as well. And so the film is really, I would say, really impressionistic. Uh, even though there is there is like a plot, there's a story, but I want to say that it's more I think about a feeling that um, it conveys. I'm not sure how successfully. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a story, and uh, the feeling that I want to convey, though it's uh, told through the lens, um, through the eyes, really, of these two pensioners in Saint Petersburg. Yeah, and uh, uh, in short, um, what happened is that. Um, uh, last year, I spent uh, quite a lot of time in Russia. I took some time off school. Um, I'm a graduate student. I'm an MFA student in uh, integrated media arts at Hunter College here in New York. And uh, but I took some time off. Um, and while in Russia, I really felt it was impossible not to make this film. Um, I think it's really going to speak of the life here on some level. You said that you you were kind of like compelled to make the film. So. Why did you choose two elderly women as opposed to something else? Yeah, uh, well, again, um, while in Russia, whatever, I was in Moscow and St. Petersburg both, you got to notice that uh, these elderly women, grandmothers as most people refer to them, um, they are very much part of kind of the city landscape, I would say. 
they uh, dressed in this frequently very kind of poor, I don't know, vintage, I wouldn't call it vintage, it's probably their old coats from like the 70s or something. And uh, they kind of haunt the streets of almost any city, I imagine. And they are, in a way, I feel really vital, almost symbol of this new Russia. Yeah, as much as, um, I don't know, what people know about Russia, corrupt politicians or garish oligarchs. So I thought it was it, it just something that really interested me. And again, in Russia, most pensioners, I feel unlike here in the West, not as much so here. Um, in Russia, most pensioners live in real kind of isolation and poverty. They're barely able to afford food, medicine, clothes. And uh, again, why grandmothers? It's because they're, they are mostly women, because men in, at least in post-Soviet Russia, their husbands potentially usually die decades earlier because of the rampant alcoholism, like, I don't know, heart diseases and all that. So, so they are mostly just old women. And they are, to me, they're the, the kind of the echo of really brutal 90s. And uh, they're sort of also the symbol of, the, I don't know, Soviet Union collapse. I, I don't know, it's really kind of, really kind of scary and existence there's definitely a lot of horror there they imagine they um, a lot of them worked really hard throughout their lives they might be now in their 70s and um, they gave their basic life to communism and that world is gone and no one needs them anymore and um, just everyone is kind of waiting for them to die off i sometimes kids help but not everyone have uh, have that to fall on if you follow the russian news What's interesting is, again, yeah, sure, people probably waiting for them to die off and no one cares about them. But meanwhile, they really make it um, into news almost every day as either victims or perpetrators of really gory crimes. Mm. And uh, so I'm not <laughs> really even <laughs> make things up that much. The crimes are really kind of atrocious, like just kind of almost crimes of, I don't know, desperation, madness. They're like weird, petty, drunk quarrels that escalate or just get rich schemes that end in butchery. Literally almost like Dostoevsky and style stories with like, yeah, so the stories are real and they're very mundane. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was re-watching the film and I wasn't sure to ask you, but I guess I'll, I'll ask you now because you did almost mention Dostoevsky. I was kind of, I did think when watching the film that there was some inspiration or at least uh, um, an echo of crime and punishment where, you know, essentially Tamara commits this crime as a mode of like finding a kind of transformation of herself, a better life in a weird way. And I was wondering if that was in part of your story or in the back of your mind, this influence of crime and punishment. Yeah, well, what to say? I mean, obviously, I do love crime and punishment. I love Dostoevsky, but um, no, I, w I wouldn't say that. That I, I really, I, I, I didn't try to think of Raskolnikov. Really, I mean, I, I know it comes through because yeah, it's Russian and there's like. Well, I don't, I'm not being. I'm not trying not to be stereotypical, but. <laughs> not yeah, not necessarily. For also, because like the the character, the, the murderer Tamara does not really find. In your life and she's very much stuck in the end and she's stuck in the beginning and probably she's only um, even more lonely by the end she doesn't really gain much out of it and it's she's not supposed to gain it's really more of a kind of madness rather than a very calculated um, some kind of calculated thing um, and again like speaking of the real life stories that I've become familiar with while following news closely in Russia is that um, I mean one of the 
famous stories. I don't know. I feel like I, I would share it. I think it was a few years ago, two, three years ago, um, in St. Petersburg, actually. There was this elderly um, lady. I'm late 60s, not that old. Um, she was finally caught and um, by the police, but um, she supposedly had, I don't know, maybe uh, a dozen victims under her belt uh, that she killed her and chopped up, partially probably even eaten. And her latest victim was actually the woman, even more elderly than herself, that she lived with. And uh, she, uh, I think the, the, the woman wanted to kick her out, I didn't want to live with her anymore, something like that. And basically the, the woman did, I think, drugged and then killed this elderly lady and chopped her up and then took her body in pieces outside. But again, she didn't even, I think, wanted to hide her really well, that well. She just dropped her body parts in the nearby kind of yard near the pond. And then the head, the scariest part, she put, she put it in the saucepan, I think, and took it also outside. And then later it was found basically by just like a, a, just like a woman, a neighbor who was walking with her dog. Uh, in this near pond and again it's pretty mundane i know it sounds like horrible almost like some horrific horror films but it's not even that i, I mean sure people are scared when they read about it but it's there's something mundane about it mm -hmm. and again in, in russian context so that's for instance a story from a few years ago right so i don't know how much of dostoevsky i need to to <laughs> no it, it's true to to, to like sure. i don't know to be inspired like that you don't really need even great Russian literature for that. You can just read news, and there's like right. way more horrific. Right, right. De yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about these characters, because there's one woman, um, Sofia Ivanovna, who's played by Marita Pasina, and Tamara, who's played by uh, Valentina Vedernikova. And they're really two different women, and but they have a very tense relationship living together. So talk about these two characters and their relationship to each other. Yeah, uh, first of all, I just uh, I feel like I need to disclose the <laughs> the Sophia character. Sophia is played actually by my mother, which uh, I don't know how I convinced her to do that. She's not really an actress. She actually enjoyed the experience, so so that's fine. Uh, yeah. So the story of these two women. Um, well, the way I thought about it really is um, I wanted to show this two lonely pensioners co cohabitating in this really kind of grim small apartment. But um, the idea was, I'm not sure it came through because there's not much of like, thing, there's not much explained, that Tamara is the live-in help kind of to, for Sophia. And uh, Sophia is kind of the supposed owner kind of the apartment. And again, I'm not sure it comes through, but that type of arrangement um, also um, you know, it quite usually does happen, especially if um, a woman is lonely and doesn't have relatives and has this apartment or some means, slightly, <laughs> some means for existence, then uh, she can have this sort of help, um, or I wouldn't call her a maid, but something like that, living with her. So that does happen. There's reality to that. Um, I didn't really make it up. And uh, so that's the arrangement. And again, uh, this women, since they're not relatives, I hope it comes through and they come from completely different worlds, I would say. Um, again, from just like body language and what they do, it's clear that uh, Sophia is kind of this, um, um, who knows, might be some kind of former academic or who knows, she clearly lives in the book of world, in the, in the world of books and she's part of this intelligentsia. But at the same time, she's almost as poor. Uh, and Tamara is kind of just this 
you know, the people, or what do you say, just a sort of a common person who, um, who again, is uh, as lonely and almost as poor, but she kind of works for Sophia, does everything around the house, and uh, her life um, is really, she lives kind of vicariously through TV she watches, and that's her only kind of <laughs> window into the world, uh, as they say. Uh, and there's a lot of sort of quiet resentment between them, obviously, and they don't really talk much and uh, sort of and that's I guess the seed of <laughs> what's coming next of the, the conflict so you you have there you have this kind of hierarchical relationship both in terms of say class but also in terms of tomorrow is to live in help but the film is still called Padrugi so what is the relationship between them as you know girlfriends and you can explain that in the Russian context I thought, um, after watching especially the film, it's kind of obvious that the title is, um, well, somewhat satirical or ironic. Or ironic. So um, I guess it's uh, really, I guess, the opposite of girlfriends. <laughs> they're a little bit, they're like a, you know, dead ringer quality to that. They're clearly very much attached. And uh, even if there is resentment, they sort of, they are the only partners in life <laughs> to each other. So that's why I think the ending is a little bit dubious, like if Tamara gets rid of her partner, whatever, her girlfriend, ironically speaking, is what is really left. Just TV, well, TV is left, so I thought that's, but that's a little maddening too. So there's no counterbalance. So in a way, yeah, okay, there are girlfriends, but it's also, but like, not really. So I thought it comes through, I hope. There's very little dialogue in the film, and, and but early on, Tamara says, this is my life. What does she mean by this statement? Yeah, well, again, uh, Tamara is the, the character of, of the live and help, right? So she, again, as I said, she sort of lives in TV or by watching TV, immersing herself in this like crazy world of day TV mostly. Uh, that's what at least uh, the usual like federal channels offer her. And uh, in the day TV programs that are like really absurd and crazy in Russia, I know they're like also can be quite crazy in America, but in Russia there's like a separate quality of, almost of David Lynch really there. And uh, and we can talk a little bit more about yes. it. But yes, yeah, so and the day programs have this like really Shakespearean dramas that they kind of offer the viewer. And sort of, yeah, and sort of that is tomorrow's life. What else she got? I don't know, washing, washing juices, or I don't know, there's really not much else. And uh, I feel, again, it's not really flippant, but it's there's something to that of being old and poor in Russia, having, uh, I don't know, what, what, what do you really have if, you have if your pension is about, I don't know, $150 in a city that is not really that cheap, and you have really nothing. And uh, TV is your kind of... <laughs> Is your is your only I don't know friend and entertainer, and window to the world. In the, yeah, it is window to the world. I kind of don't like it's a little bit banal of a phrase, but there's there's truth to it. And then the question is, what kind of window is that? Because it can be potentially a beautiful window if you if you I don't know watch great films or read great books. But uh, <laughs> what what really is there is not that. They put some kind of just just absurd horror of of this day TV, yeah. But but it's interesting because the the television plays a function in the film as a um, alternative to the dialogue. 
it you can actually see the film unfold if you listen to the what's going on on the television and some of the things that are being talked about and then also there's this music towards the end of the film too with some pop song that also I think speaks to the film as well like narrates the film so why did you have this presence of television as kind of the dialogue at least it seems to me it's the dialogue it, no, you're right. It's definitely that. I almost feel of it as a yeah. It's like an alternative dialogue, or it is a soundtrack really to, to the almost to the entire film, on, almost the only soundtrack really, outside of just the um, ambient noise, ambient sounds. Uh, is it's really because I feel if um, there is this what I'm talking about, the loneliness and just misery that this women live in and experience, then um, the sort of TV that at least one is watching and the other has to also listen to kind of feels <laughs> feels the the void right feels the silence and uh, kind of that's <laughs> what they have to listen to and I want the viewer also to, to listen what they listen to and uh, I again I, I, I'm not sure how easy it is if you're not a Russian speaker to tune in or, or read the subtitles and follow the storylines but most of it is kind of just uh, either just kind of funny family dramas mm -hmm. uh, and uh, stories of different like betrayal and um, and and then some of it is just uh, crazy uh, day TV like famous um, program that is called uh, health that is actually extremely popular among the elderly women and just elderly population in Russia that offers you a sort of um, alternative uh, kind of like alternative ways of treating different diseases that are just complete like complete insanity just like mixing weird potions or I don't know it just comes up with like really absurd like absurd unproven ways of, of treating all sort of diseases and uh, and the woman who uh, the host of it uh, she's actually very famous in Russia she used to be a professor like a doctor but I guess was lured into TV by, I don't know, money or what. She runs that and, uh, I don't know, she should be sane, but what's happening in the program is, is completely insane. And yeah. for her, I guess it's um, it just kind of like a business because she also runs um, some weird like, diet program or she sells on the side based on, on this, on the, uh, on the um, yeah, on, on this uh, health program she's the host of so it's really just a business and again like all these different programs I either show or you can hear them mostly I show them too they are kind of a little bit remind me of you know the film they live uh, what's his name Carpenter John Carpenter, Carpenter yeah. right? John Carpenter mm -hmm. John Carpenter yeah they live there is this there is this feeling of kind of lizard people telling you things. No, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone that, at that. If I talk to my friends, they sort of agree with my vision. Mm -hmm. It's because like the, uh, the host of these horrible programs are really just this, yeah, lizard people, some kind of like vampires of the Putin era. They're like basically minigarchs, or I guess that's the term to like mildly, but still very rich people in Russia. And yet they spin this crazy stories for entertainment and dumbing down of the majority of people who watch them. And there's something really kind of scary and both like sad about it. So that, that's, that's why I kind of, I think, included it. Because again, it's like wildly popular. Anyone, like I think any Russian person who will get to watch this will recognize most of the programs, if not the particular um, like issue, but like the programs and they know what it is. And again, Iman, actually the urban 
um, young urban people who like use internet. Some of the issues of those day programs and whatever, evening programs, basically TV, become really like almost they go viral in internet. Some of them become internet sensations and people kind of watch them for just laughs. So, so again, it, it, basically it's like a, like a phenomena. I'm not sure there's a parallel to that here in America, but in Russia it is quite, quite something. No one believes that it's really aired, and yet they do air them. And I think the creators of these programs also partially just kind of, just, they're just cynical people who like probably don't take, take their job with a, <laughs> in a very kind of satirical manner. Who knows? So anyway, that's, like, yeah. that's a big thing. Because I thought these programs, the way you use them, I mean, first is the dialogue, but also, um, you know, they they basically show putting the the really strange health one aside. That's a a creature in its own mm-hmm. universe. Yeah. yeah, it's completely just not. <laughs> yeah, but the the other ones are, you know, they're kind of, you know, anyone who's familiar with the Jerry Springer phenomenon in the United States would be familiar with t- this type of programming. Um, and on the one hand, like I said, it kind of is the dialogue for your film, but it's also, I think, an additional commentary on what you said earlier in a sense of these old women are kind of a, um, a symbol for the the Putin era and stagnation. Uh, these types of programmings, in a way, I think could be read like that in the sense of they are all about kind of the brokenness within families, within relationships. And that goes against the idea that Russian society is stable and all of this conservative rhetoric that the government is spewing, that the reality, even on television, is completely different. In terms of relationships, how do you see these television shows functioning in the context of your film? Yeah, I see what you mean, just like you kind of, it's almost like you ask two questions about the the reality in Russia and the whole stagnation versus this... um weird, like almost, I don't know, constant dramas on TV. I mean, I really feel like there's, I mean, it's just really just a schizophrenic, I would say, mixture of various concepts that um, don't really make sense together at all. So all you're saying applies. And I don't really know, I don't, I really believe that no one has answered to that. Why exactly like Channel First or Second has this like widely popular TV shows. I feel on the one hand, they act as, first of all, just distractions for people, again, who are, live in stagnations and kind of like this quiet misery and that's how they're distracted by just following these dramas and on like in one hour of the day and then the other hour of the day they're supposed to i don't know go to church or see some kind of new thing that you know there's like a definitely a rising russian orthodox religious sentiment in the society as well and i and i really think that that somehow doesn't come together at all that that's like kind of parallel and I would say the best answer would be that it's totally schizophrenic. And I think maybe the people might feel the schizophrenia. I don't know if they can, um, if they can articulate it the way I do, because it really doesn't make sense. Again, and in terms of the movie I made, in terms of the narrative, if you really uh, follow closely what's happening in TV, you can, of course, notice that there are sort of parallels to the story. And uh, the sort of in the evening, the sort of the evening program that tomorrow is watching. It's another very popular TV show, but um, it talks about um, a husband who killed his wife, uh, chopped her up and right. uh, hid her body parts in, I think, a car of his lover. And it was actually a huge story also a few years ago in Russia. Everyone was talking about it. And the thing is, I mean, is she affected by the story and sort of does it prompt her to act the way she does? 
I mean, maybe, maybe not, because uh, again, because there is um, quietness to the character, to, to both characters. It's, I'm not sure how much of it, and no one should be sure how much of it she takes in, and does she act on it or not? Because again, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's fairly impressionistic the way I see it. She might be affected, she might get some cues, I guess, from it. Who knows? But at the same time, it's, it's, it should be basically not, uh, it should remain ambiguous <laughs> as I right. see it while you watch it. Uh, and depends on how, again, close you're going to follow <laughs> follow the narrative. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, but there are, there are definitely perils that are there. Hopefully not like two in your face, two on the nose, not too obvious. Right. But, they're, but they're there. Yeah, I actually took that uh, one program as, as Tamara's thought bubble. Uh, which one? The, the 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 short clip of the the guy who murders his wife I took it as kind of her thought bubble well I guess it can be interpreted like that too because again it's kind of you know and <laughs> I don't know a mix of things right yeah for thought bubble it's a, it's a good way to put it I should remember that <laughs> now a word from our sponsor want to learn Russian Ukrainian Arabic the University of Pittsburgh Summer Language Institute offers intensive six, eight, and ten-week language study courses in Arabic, Bosnian, Croatian, Serbian, Bulgarian, Czech, Hungarian, Polish, Russian, Slovak, Turkish, and Ukrainian. That's a year's worth of coursework in one single summer. You can study at the University of Pittsburgh's main campus or study abroad. And if all that isn't enticing enough, Courses are taught by exceptionally trained foreign language instructors. Pitt's Summer Language Institute accepts undergraduate and graduate students as well as professionals and retirees. Apply by March 2nd, 2018 to be eligible for generous scholarship funding. Join our program to discover the world. Apply now at sli.pitt.edu. That's sli.pitt.edu. So the description of your film on on the VMO uh, link is uh, a tale of old age and claustrophobia in Putin's Russia. And we talked so far a lot about the old age part and a bit about the Putin's Russia part. So I want to talk about what you mean by claustrophobia. Well, again, as I uh, talked about how I think it feels to be old <laughs> and uh, on average very poor in Russia, I think it does contribute to the sense of claustrophobia considering the kind of lifestyle that people um, have to have. And again, it's not only, I think, about the lifestyle really of, this, of most old people there, but also there's like a psychological component, I think of, again, as I said, um, of kind of being not taken care of, of being betrayed by the country and being I mean, literally, I think, stuck in this run-down Soviet, small, grimy apartments for, for most of your later years. So I, I, think, I think this is, this is really kind of the pretty little description of claustrophobia. And um, so that's, I think that's what I really meant for it. And there's like, again, there's a staleness too. There's like a sense of stagnation and staleness. And, um, and that's very much in the air too. So it's not only about sitting in a small apartment and not leaving it, but even if you do leave and leave it and like walk around the streets or hunt the streets with your little trolley, because that's actually very much uh, almost uh, comes 
together with a grandmother. It's almost like yes. a unit. And at least in Russia, this is how they look. This is what they carry. And that's how you see them in the streets. And again, even if they're like that in the streets, I don't think that sense of claustrophobia really diminishes because of that. The, and again, and the insanity that TV kind of spews into you, like sort of, uh, I don't know, kind of showers you with, I think only makes it really worse because it right. only becomes, your reality becomes even more warped than it is when you watch TV and show what it offers you. So, so this is, I think, really the definition of claustrophobia they live in. And I would, I would add to that too, the, um, it, it's a, an alienating experience, like in the sense of, you know, the, the first shot of the film is uh, Tamara wheeling one of these with her big coat. And, and I have to admit, when I first watched the film, I thought it was a documentary because of this, because it's such a ubiquitous image you see on the streets of urban um, Russia. Um, but there is this sense of um, alienation. And plus with the television, it almost feels like society's walls are closing in on these people who were in their last years of their life. So I kind of also saw the claustrophobia there as well. That's true. Yeah, as I said, again, I really think like everyone's just waiting for them to die off. Right. And despite this, um, you know, this kind of pseudo-patriotic rhetoric of, again, of federal channels of Putin himself, and uh, it's, it's really not there. I mean, no one really takes care, let's say, of this. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it's the, of this part of population, which is should be pretty sig- like significant, right? I- issue right. to deal with, and no one really addresses it. It somehow, it somehow really is if like non-existent. I wouldn't even say uh, an important, just non, just non-existent. And uh, again, no one seems to. It's it's kind of interesting in terms of like um, Russian cinema or something. No one seems to make films <laughs> really. Uh, or any other, I don't know, art artworks about that as well. I'm not talking only about um, old people, even though that as well. But just generally, this really sense of just decay, quite rot that I, even as a fairly young person in Russia, feel when when kind of I'm there, and um, it's it's somehow really not, just not in the movies. And I mean, I kind of understand why. Obviously, the state-sponsored films. They're mostly at this point just kind of like copies of Hollywood genre films. They right. can be even big budget, but they like have this like g- g- generic narrative. They just set in Russia and they have this really generic narrative. They're not memorable at all, and that's kind of I guess normal. And then, but then there is sort of supposedly an independent cinema, right? But uh, that also really doesn't somehow connect, at least for me, with life at all. I, I don't. I think you know, right? The most celebrated. Um, uh, Russian sort of this actor filmmaker Andrei Zvegintsev. So okay, I I feel kind of interesting because he supposedly tries to tackle the uh, this like life in Russia and the and the sort of almost uh, he's hailed as some kind of like either Tarkovsky or Dostoevsky in right. film today. Right. Director of Leviathan, yeah, and director of Loveless, his latest mm-hmm. film that was in Cannes, and I think even won something. But in reality. What's kind of weird for me as a Russian to watch his films is that he he's really, first of all, not really a dissident or anything like that. He is very much, um, he very much kind of, in a way, for the new bourgeoisie and for this new, um, I feel, yeah, for the new kind of elite that was formed. And the only positive characters in his, like this really dark fables he usually makes, are 
really kind of it's kind of funny i really only just the successful businessmen types usually and uh, and like the negative like bad characters are usually just the people uh whatever either poor women or some vulgar plebs or some vulgar philistine no i really think he looks like that and and because i know like moscow liberals pretty pretty well the circle he, he i guess is like that and they're very kind of sort of snobbish in many ways conservative conservative people and that's the narratives he creates and uh, yeah and for me it's really it doesn't have to, to do much with the reality i experience really in russia and the way i see it yeah and, and so yeah so he starts for me either very abstract and uh, try to be kind of um just like this um uh yeah just like abstract stories that have no time and place or if they try to tackle some kind of, as of political issues and real life problems in russia like Leviathan, supposedly, or Loveless, they're really kind of kind of appalling to me, honestly. Uh, yeah, and, and again, in, in, in Russia, again, in this like in the film circles and like educated Moscow circles, yeah, he, people know kind of that he sort of makes this, he's like the only Russian filmmaker who sort of speaks about Russia in a language that is accessible and sort of as if seems to be almost loved, accessible to the Westerners. So he, mm -hmm. he's this is like plays that that part and uh very much staying within the um the elite in the, the almost i would say even the putin elite very much so there's there's nothing really uh radical <laughs> about him that's that's kind of the funny part nothing at all huh, interesting. about his artworks i'm talking about i'm right. not i'm not sure what he does like is he threatened anyhow by the regime that i'm not sure, sure. I, I don't i don't think he is threatened um yeah I wanted to ask you, because this is where I got this sense of a, a Dostoevsky echo, and that is that after Tamara commits this you know, horrific crime, she undergoes a brief kind of transformation of sorts, where she uh, goes shopping for a new hat, and she eats dinner at this restaurant, and uh, she puts on makeup. And I, I found this actually kind of interesting and I was wondering if you could give a comment on what she does after committing the murder this moment of kind of liberation before the end yeah um yeah of course I can comment on that in fact uh, another note about the film is that um I really at, at first I almost thought of the movie while while making it or a little bit afterwards as a kind of almost a scene from like a larger piece or a larger film, maybe a feature film. So that has this kind of almost, you know, single white female structure. But um, but though in, in the circumstances, like they're just two elderly women experiencing that. So your question about what Tamara does afterwards by like putting on Sophia's clothes, putting on some makeup and venturing out, that kind of <laughs> speaks of that, is that she kind of almost now free and uh, almost tries to not assume her friend's identity, but there there's that element there, right. you know? So I think that's the answer. And also she just finally kind of, yeah, feels a little bit liberated and just wants to do something that she probably has never done before, like, mm -hmm. um, like going to some, I don't know, cafeteria and, and buying stuff for herself. But, but generally there is like the element of um, assuming like another person's identity as well, right. which I'm not sure if it comes through. Well, I also thought of as kind of the post-euphoria 
of this breaking up because this the song that's playing while she's shopping for the hat the lyrics are something like and i'm forgetting about you right so it's kind of like she's saying goodbye to um sofia ivanovna in a complete sense in a way <laughs> as she's doing these other things that i my impression is she didn't do before yeah, of course. That's, yeah, of course. There's there, there's that. She kind of gets to enjoy herself, but at the same time, how much how much real enjoyment is there really after like a first, I don't know, shopping spree after like a first couple of hours outside? But yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, the pop songs used in the end actually were really kind of playing outside in this like. Um, I guess it is sort of can be called the shopping area. So uh, there was a. Again, it, it felt natural to use them, yeah, and almost it's kind of serendipitously <laughs> when you listen to them. Yes, there's um, it's it's almost really an accident, but yes, there's that narrative of um, someone forgiving another person who like left left her, mm-hmm. something like that. And um, in another song, I think talks about how she's like a bad. <laughs> it's like a young woman, I guess, singing how she's like a bad girl. Or something like that, but that's just comical again. While right. Tamara is shopping around, and I guess she's she's bad, but um, again, I, I'm not sure how how much comedy comes through in like in English if you don't if you don't know Russian. And and finally, um, are you working on anything new, and and what is it? Yeah, I'm actually developing um, a project, a film about. Um, Common as Zombies, I think it's like a horror film. Um, I, I don't want to kind of reveal too much, but sure. it's basically based in, or inspired really by uh, this Russian philosopher, Nikolai Fedorov, you know, like the Russian mm-hmm. Russian cosmist. Yes. Um, and his um, ideas of the, uh, you know, philosophy of the common task and ideas of resurrection. So that's in development, I think. Um, I'll first make it um, as a short film, and it might happen really um, over the, the summertime in Russia this this, this upcoming year, this year, and uh, yeah, and then if that's successful, I would I would like to turn it eventually into into a feature. I'm really working at it. I'm thinking of it as a feature, and I'm developing it as a feature. Yeah, I think it's kind of very timely considering also like yes. the hundred, you know, anniversary, the centennial re- anniversary of October Revolution. So. Right, and also the I would say the persistence of the discourse about Homo Sovieticus. That's true. They're very, very much right, Homo Sovieticus. So in a way, the Homo Sovieticus everyone's talking about will very like this, like literally, this will come to life in my in my <laughs> film, and there was will be a certain clash. So I might actually, um, I don't know if I should plug it in here, you don't have to include it, but I think I'm going to have like a probably late spring, early summer, like a Kickstarter campaign for like for the short. So if, yeah, and then I can let you know if you can (laughs) help promote it or something. So if if that happens. Um, Yeah, but um, so that's the project I'm kind of mostly focusing on right now. That was Yevgeny Okovda, a Brooklyn-based Russian filmmaker from Moscow currently pursuing an MFA in Integrated Media Arts at Hunter College in New York. Girlfriends is our first narrative short film. I'm your host, Sean Guillory, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pittsburgh, and listeners like you. 
If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review, or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it's not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at seansrussiablog.org. Thank you to all my high excellencies, high wellborns, and noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from seansrussiablog.org as well. Until next time, bye! Sure.